Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Now, we're not just taking this as it comes. We're also trying to prevent it from getting worse than it has to. And that's why we're focused on more sustainable infrastructure for the future. It's why we're uh, getting those EV chargers out there. It's why we're making sure there are more excellent uh, and clean public transit options out there. We're buying uh, zero emission buses for cities. That means uh, cleaner air every day and doing our part with the climate challenge. And even for parts of the transportation sector that are very hard to move to a zero emissions platform, think maritime in the way our ships work. Think aviation. Uh, we're also working on more sustainable aviation. Thank goodness our response to Canadian wildfires is electric buses. I mean, they don't actually work. I can point you to Indianapolis, Indiana, where they tried a whole electric bus system grid and it failed miserably. I told them that it was going to fail. I warned them for years it was going to fail because it failed in Albuquerque, New Mexico a place that is warmer than Indianapolis. And sure enough, it failed. And they, they, don't, they don't care. An ideologue is an ideologue is an ideologue. And somebody who believes that their religion cannot be questioned well, is going to act in a zealot-like fashion. That's certainly Pete Buttigieg. That's Representative Ocasio-Cortez. That's Climate Envoy John Kerry. All because of wildfires, which admittedly, there's a lot of them. And it's kind of amazing to watch. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. My thanks to Ethan and Tony Kinnett filling in yesterday for me. I appreciate it. These wildfires taking place out of Canada, tremendous numbers of them happening uh, to provide effect to the East Coast. We're talking about Quebec. We're talking about areas in and around uh, Toronto. Uh, These things are pretty massive. They have spread aggressively, which leads to a question of what kind of forestry rules and standards do they have in Canada. This is not me being opposed to things burning. Fires do happen, and that burning is a cleansing process and part of renewal, how that earth then reinvigorates itself and grows again. These are patterns that we have seen, but there are moments where you engage in what are called uh, controlled burns. You're making sure you're getting rid of certain levels of brush because when a fire does happen, you want to be able to have that fire in a more contained spot. You don't want it to be able to get out of control. When I lived in California and you would drive down Mulholland, right, you're driving the ridge of, of, of the mountains there that would separate, you know, Hollywood, if you will, or Los Angeles from the valley. And you realize if a fire starts up here, fire trucks can't get here. It a fire starts up here, everything's just gone. It's just the houses, the ever it's gone. That's all there is to it. When we see conversations of are we going to, you know, do controlled burns here or there in the United States, well, it's an environmental issue. It's an environmental issue if thousands of acres go up in smoke. In Canada, it's 8.2 million acres that have gone up in smoke 
Now, Canada's dealing with a couple things weather-wise. Not climate-wise, weather-wise. It hasn't rained. It's been dry weather. My beloved Indiana, it's been crazy dry weather. There was like a little bit of moisture across the state yesterday. A little bit, it only lasted a couple hours. It's been dry. It's been lovely. But it has a downside. And the downside is, if a fire should start, there's no moisture to... To, to naturally fight it or to keep it to a little bit at bay, make it easier, certainly on firefighters, this is the way it goes. This is the way it goes. So it's not rare to have wildfires. It's not rare to see them have an effect on the atmosphere. The smoke is in the air. You may be seeing in some places in the eastern seaboard and the northern parts of the United States some crazier sunsets, more pinks and reds and things like that. That's because there's these particulates in the air, you know, and it's reflecting and refracting the light, and you're getting these different colors. The, the, the shots that you're getting out of New York with the, with the yellows and the oranges and the haze and people are like, my gosh, this is so unhealthy. We need masks. Some people are mocking this. Why? If you're somebody who who's asthmatic, if you have uh, pulmonary issues, if, if you have breathing issues, mask makes sense. We go right to, oh, sure, they're locking down again. Oh, sure. Some people have a legitimate reason to wear a mask. What do you care? Government forcing you to wear a mask. That's why you care. Screw them. Some person knowing that they've got a kind of immunocompromised kind of world, they've got a, a, a weird thing with breathing, whatever their issue is, and they want to wear a mask to make sure they're safe, good on them. That's smart. Anybody who bothers them is a schmuck. The smoke certainly can cause you some problems. Smoke, by the way, so we understand each other, is... um is one thing. As was written, I think it was the New York Times, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention notes that dust masks, surgical masks, and bandanas are not sufficient to protect children from smoke and that N95 masks are typically not fitted for kids and may not provide adequate coverage. I'm sorry. You told me I had to wear a mask to stop the spread of COVID. Viral, it's a viral, it's a, it was of course a virus, but it was aerosolized. As Phil Kirpin points out, viral aerosols are five times smaller than smoke particles. So a mask won't help me breathe when I'm dealing with smoke from a wildfire. But a mask was totally fine and helpful and saved lives when we were talking about COVID. is this you think a mask helps you with smoke in the air wear a mask go live your life don't add you don't need my permission i just don't think anybody should be bothered by it but when you read that as written by eli klein of uh uh, I, i think i think it was actually publishing that quoting that from the new york times sorry it came from the new york times Don't ever trust the Times. Don't ever trust the CDC. Don't ever trust Fauci or any of the damn fools who still support him. 
Never let a crisis go to waste is what we learned from Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel, the former uh, chief of staff to Barack Obama, president of the United States. But he said, never let a crisis go to waste because a crisis will allow you to do things that you otherwise could not do. And that's how you get the concepts of the new normal. Representative Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, that was not necessary. I didn't, I didn't ask for this. Can we get that to stop? Can we get, can we... Thank you. Appreciate that. Representative Ocasio-Cortez. Stop it, I said. She is utilizing the Canadian wildfires to push for the Green New Deal. Ew, David. All right, that was worthwhile. Putting out on Twitter between NYC in wildfire smoke and uh, the heat in uh, in, in Puerto Rico, it bears repeating how unprepared we are for the climate crisis. We must adapt our food systems, energy grids, infrastructure, healthcare, et cetera, ASAP to prepare for what's to come and catch up with to what is already here. Hashtag Green New Deal. Let me try and, and, and take a look at this differently, uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez. If you think the transfers of money can change Mother Nature, you're not smart enough to get a driver's license. You shouldn't be allowed out of the house without adult supervision. You have 100-degree temperatures going on in Puerto Rico. And how is it referred to as life-threatening heat indices? Yeah. It's 116 in some spots. It's 101 in some others. Same thing happens and has happened in California for decades. I didn't live too far from Woodland Hills. Woodland Hills gets stupid hot. Never mind Las Vegas. Lived in Arizona for a few years. I went to college uh, there. Got stupid hot. But it's life-threatening in Puerto Rico. Because somebody puts up a a graphic that says life-threatening. And allow me to say, those are hot temperatures. Sometimes they're cooler temperatures. You don't think people who grew up in Puerto Rico 30 years ago dealt with hot temperatures? You think this is all part of the climate change and you personally can save us? If and only if rich people give up all of their money now. That's, um, that's weird. That's who these people are. There are 413 active wildfires across Canada. And according to the reporting from Reuters, 249 of them are out of control. Now, it is true that air quality is rough in places on the East Coast, and we're feeling it in other places. That's fact. It's also a fact that wildfires happen. Utilizing a wildfire to push a radical climate agenda that cannot stop Mother Nature from being Mother Nature? Silliness. Oh, equal silliness is to uh, think that uh, all of this is anthropogenic, meaning man-made. That's just embarrassing. But if you want embarrassing when it comes to climate, you need John Kerry, the 
special presidential envoy for climate. When he's not in a private jet, John Kerry is uh, saying that the the climate crisis is the most important fight of our time. What is also clear right now is we can also win this fight, but it requires the same level of innovation and mobilization that was required back then by those in the greatest generation. Today's threat comes from all of us. It comes from the result of the things we do or avoid doing. Uh, First, um, again, with the progressive, the human being is at fault. The human being is the monster. The human being is the virus and the human being is guilty. The human being must be punished and or crushed in order to save Mother Gaia. But John Kerry just compared fighting climate change, feel the air quotes, to D-Day, which just passed. The invasion of Normandy, the storming of the beaches. That's the mobilization he's talking about. You, you, we, we live in an odd, strange world that we think that this comparison somehow moves people. It doesn't. The people who understand the reference are disgusted that you're such an ignorant fool, and the people who don't understand the reference don't know what the hell you're talking about anyway. But we're going to fight climate like we fought the threat of the imperialist Japanese and the Nazis? You've been talking about the threat regarding climate for 50 years. And I'm still here. You're still here. The penguins are still here. Whatever it is they said was going to be, uh, you know, eliminated or extinct or whatever. If we didn't mobilize and kill the Nazis and kill the Japanese, including dropping bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki so they would stop and then forcing them to surrender and admitting that Hirohito was not a god. If we didn't do that, who knows if we'd be dealing with 50 years since then of just bloodshed and disease and disaster, people speaking German. One thing was the imperative. The other thing is a story, not backed up by uh, the the Michael Mann hockey stick graph. Uh, That's bunk. Not backed up by levels of science that state that we live right now in, in areas of cooling. The hysteria of the leftist and the utilizing of wildfires to say, see, we told you. Now, if there had been no wildfires and a lot of rain, they would have said, see, we told you. So whether it's wildfires or whether it's flooding, the answer is, see, we told you. If you give now to Representative Ocasio-Cortez and Special Envoy John Kerry, you will never have rain nor sun again. You'll have just some kind of gray. That's actually more true than you realize. I'm Tony Katz. Republicans will no longer seek to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, my dear people? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. That's that's how you spell the thing. Christopher Wray is the FBI Director. 
And James Comer, Republican, uh, heads up the Oversight Committee in the House. And he said, I want to see Form FD-1023. This form that a whistleblower says Joe Biden, that he saw showing that Joe Biden was working with some foreign national and taking money and changing policy. That is what the form says, because that's what got reported. Whether or not that's true and whether or not that led to a uh, investigation is different. The form exists. The form is not classified. The head of the oversight committee said, I want to see the form. And Christopher Ray, the FBI director, said, nah. And Comer said, what do you, I want to see the form now. And he's like, well, I'll show it to you over here, but I'm going to redact some things. You can only see it here. And Comer said, you're going to give me the form or we're going to, uh, well, hey, we'll subpoena you. And if you don't follow the subpoena, we'll hold you in contempt and we'll have your frog marched in. And because of that, because of the threat, Christopher Ray is now showing the Oversight Committee the document, I believe, in full. It worked. The left wanted to say this was all a witch hunt about Biden. None of that mattered because it wasn't about what the document says. It's about whether or not the Oversight Committee can see it. That's what this was about. Oh, I can't believe they're threatening the FBI director. It worked. The FBI director blinked. The FBI caved to the Republican-controlled House, and Republicans should learn from this. Democrats can't stop you. doesn't matter how they go on to MSNBC and scream or yell or do anything else. None of that matters. Completely and totally inconsequential. What matters is you got the information. That's what matters. What matters is you were able to get access and they couldn't stop you. Now that you know this, now that you know you can do this, don't forget to do it again. That's what's key here. Do not forget to do it again. So important. I'm going to get into uh, some of the new people in, in the race, Pence and Christie and, uh, and uh, the other guy from North Dakota, Burgum who's got an interesting story in and of itself, and and what their chances are. And Alyssa Farrah Griffin learning that she's not considered an equal on The View. These people hate her. They hate her. And there's no one more hateful than a bigot like Sonny Hostin or a white liberal woman like Joy Behar. Oh, oh, I'll I'll take the emails. Don't worry. I'll be fine. In the meantime, let's talk about LIV golf. That's up next. You can call me anything or anything you want. Just don't call me yours. Well, I talked to players. I've talked at a player meeting and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9-11, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, 
Have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? That's the PGA Tour Commissioner, Jay Monahan, speaking on, I think it was June 12th of 2022. So basically a year ago, there's Jay Monahan on CBS talking to Jim Nance about LIV Golf, this Saudi-backed venture. And here he is saying, my gosh, how could any golfer go there? How could you possibly uh, be a part of that? You should be ashamed. Invoking September 11th. And a year later, he's part of the reason that there is a combination of merger between the two. How in the world does this guy get to stick around? Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. JMV joins me right now from 93.5-1075 The Fan in Indianapolis, the voice of sports in Indiana. I want to get it from a guy who pays a little more attention, certainly to the golf game, certainly playing the golf game, things like that when you're not playing basketball. Um, this merger seems possibly inevitable, but also highly unlikely considering the levels of bad blood that has that now exists when players decided, why can't I be part of this tour? Why can I only be part of the PGA Tour? How describe LIV or, or live or live? I don't even know how they pronounce it in in, a, in an elevator pitch, and then what was what is the take worldwide about this merger? Well, I mean, it's going to be controlled obviously uh, by the Saudis now, and that's you mentioned the commissioner and his words to Jim Nance just a year ago. Um, and I'm assuming you're going to ask me a little bit later on about all right. So you know, what's the timetable for him? Is he going to end up being out? And I'm assuming Tony that when you play the role of one of the bigger hypocrites that we have seen over the past decade, decade plus, two decades, whatever, you probably have a massive buyout in this. So I don't know if this was inevitable, but I think you know as well as I do, you mostly live in the political world, the news world, I'm in the sports world, that ultimately we both know this, that money's going to win out. One of the greatest lines all time in film was Bud Fox asking Gordon Gecko on Wall Street, all right, you know, how many yachts do you need to water ski behind? When is enough enough? And ultimately, Tony, you and I both know that it's never going to be enough. And this was a stage of that. Now, we'll offer up this. And this is from my friend Ted Bishop, who was the 38th president of the PGA of America. And this is something I didn't think about. This is something I haven't heard brought up very often is maybe the financial plan longer term was viewed by the PGA as not being something they could work with, not being something that was going to work for them. And uh, maybe they kind of jumped at this offer with just massive amounts of money and an absolute open checkbook. But what it does do just beyond the PGA, Tony, it kind of stirs the thoughts of, all right, so, you know, what about some other things here? You know, what about, you know, we saw Lionel Messi get offered a mess of money uh, to play in Saudi Arabia. Arabia. He initially he turned that down, and, and now he's playing in the MLS in Miami. But I guess you're just going to have to ask yourself, when is enough enough? And in this case, for Monaghan to come across as just just humongous type of hypocrite, clearly uh, the money was the situation over integrity in those words that he had said as you played back yeah, and just so, a year ago. It's it, amazing. It's really important never to confuse the topics. The when is enough is enough conversation is not one I buy into. The integrity one of where is enough enough, that's a conversation. So there, there are two different things. And this was just yesterday on Golf Today 
where Monaghan is trying to defend his position, right? Defend what he, he had already said, defend on how this deal is, is coming together. And this is what he said uh, to, to, to the golf channel, to the golf people there at NBC. Jay, the 9-11 families united made a strong statement yesterday. They said you co-opted the 9-11 community in taking a moral stance against Liv. How would you respond to that group? Well, I, um, I read Terry's comments. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously acknowledge her loss and completely understand her position. And to the question that you were just asking, you know, I wish, I think about the fact that I allowed confidentiality to prevail here. And in allowing confidentiality to prevail, I did not communicate to very important constituents, including the families of 9-11. And I regret that, uh, I, I, I really do. Um, but as we sit here today, you know, I, I think, I think it's important to, you know, to reiterate that um, I feel like the move that we've made and, and how we move forward is in the best interest of our sport. We've eliminated those fractures. Um, but for, for any, uh, any difficulties I've caused on that front, again, I have to own that as well. And that comes back to communication. So he's making this argument. I would love to have shared more about what was going on, but I had to do my job, and so therefore don't get angry with me. It's a very ugly, ugly answer from Jay Monahan. But really now we get into two more things. Where are the players on this and where are the fans on this? You know, there are players who have been having serious beefs with golf commentators. It has gotten nasty and it has gotten personal. Where are the players on this new uh, world? And what about the fans and maybe even the sponsors? Are they still going to be around? Will they be participate in something that is, as you stated, JMV, Saudi-backed? Yeah, well, I mean, it just depends on, on where you are. And it depends on how much money is going to be offered up, how much of an opportunity it is there, and then how much, you know, of your integrity slash backbone, if you've if you've been, you know, outspoken against it, how much is it there? I'll give you a great example. Roy McElroy was one of the the biggest golfers that has not only been outspoken but continues to be outspoken regarding that. But he is still going to play. I think his words yesterday, Tony were to the effect of, you know, sometimes the bully is going to win. In this case, we know what he means. Sometimes those with the most money are going to win out. And for him to play golf at the top level, he's going to have to join into or be a part of something that he does not want to be a part of that he has been outspoken against. So once again, as we started the conversation, money is going to win out. And with advertisers and with all that in mind, we'll see how much money ultimately wins out i mean and, and this is something tony will probably not talk about this today but further down the road we could have implications with other sports other professional sports you know other teams who knows what type of ownership that this whole thing may open up as a pandora box of sorts here i mean it's been an amazing week and for certainly monahan it has been a hugely hypocritical type of week but i, I guess that comes down this way um, and you probably have talked about things before where you have openly debated an angle that turned out to be 
incredibly wrong. Um, I have done that before as well. Uh, you try not to be a hypocrite. In this case, Monahan comes across as maybe one of the bigger hypocrites with what he said a year ago and how he continues to try to cover this up now and justify it uh, a year later. It, it's absolutely amazing. But again, money wins out, and it's always going to win out. You know, you, you bring up other sports. Uh, the, the difference here is that golf certainly has an international base to it, and while the NFL was desperate to have more of an international base, that base is an American base, and they're already bothered enough by the fact that you want to play in the UK, you want to play in Germany, you're making me get up at all different kinds of hours, you're, you're literally got football on seven days a week, you're saying screw it to the college game and everything else, you're making me do all this stuff. Uh, the NFL fan is a different fan who's watching TV than the golf fan. And no, I don't think the NFL could get away with this. The NBA has certainly tried regarding its relationships with China that have been very, very dicey. The foot, football doesn't go down this road. You don't see Saudi ownership of a team anytime soon in any major way. Tony, man, never say never, brother. Never say never about any of this because – Here's something we haven't talked about yet, which will happen now. Because of what the PGA has done with this, if you want to call it a merger, I guess that's exactly what it is. But what they have done is now, Tony, they've made it easier to a sense, right, for you to dabble if you wanted to in into a realm like that financially, something that is financially uh, driven for you. Because now the PGA, Jay Monahan, they're taking all the heat. But, you know, the next one to do it, probably a little bit less heat the next one after that less than that so what this does this could soften or cushion the blow even if you're talking about the nfl and i know we're talking about the biggest deal sports wise in america even if you're talking about that what this does it has softened the blow others if they have been approached about a business deal if they have thought about a business deal um to maybe go with that business deal because now the pga jay monahan is taking all the heat and that heat once we go further down the road, I would think would be a little bit less than it is right now. So I think it opens up the door for a lot of things, maybe probably things we haven't thought about in the past would come to fruition. I think it probably sets it up for being more of a reality than what we ever thought. Talking to JMV from 93.5107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. We saw LIV come to be as a way to compete against the PGA. Now you've got this new entity that has the PGA Tour, LIV, and DP World Tour, which is out of, of Europe. Does this now cause somebody else to say, just, if, just as you're saying it, well, maybe it opens the door for this or that. Doesn't this open the door for competition? Hey, we're going to create an all-American tour. We're not going to take any of that Saudi money. And uh, golfers come golf for us. Doesn't it create that opportunity? Well, it, it does, but I mean, financially speaking, how long could you, you'd have to have a, a great financial stake and a great investment in this to be able to withstand what you're going up against right now. I think that is the, the root of the, the situation here, Tony, is that the Saudis have an open checkbook. This is an open checkbook. And I don't know how many people with a startup like what you're talking about, maybe you know, a red, white, and blue, all-American startup, this is what you have to be. I just don't know how sustainable something like that would be going against this. I think that's why you, you look at what could be, and you brought up a great point by saying there's no way in the world this would ever happen in the NFL. But in terms of this amount of limitless money, 
Tony, you can never say never. Do I expect it to happen? Absolutely not. Because you know the NFL, how guarded they are against their shield and the integrity of their shield. But we'll see. Financial circumstances change. And oftentimes, you know, you get the most money out there uh, in a situation. People are going to jump on that. That's what we have seen here. And I'm not going to say never to anything in the future with somebody that can just open up a checkbook and scratch out a check to whatever level they want. By the way, you, you've said this a couple times. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. In your mm-hmm. view, Saudi Arabia now control controls professional golf? Um, I think for the most part, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you look at it any other way, Tony. JMV, 93.5, The Fan. JMV, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So is Tucker in breach of contract? The answer is we don't know. But Fox News wants to say absolutely. They're desperate to say it. He did his show. He did a show, I should say. On Twitter, well, he's not allowed to do that. We own the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show, and he can't do that, and he's in breach of contract. At least that's what we're hearing. Axios is reporting that and others. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I think the really fascinating story is that people completely freaked out over Tucker Carlson doing this show. Uh, Tucker on Twitter, they, they lost their minds that Tucker Carlson after being um, released by Fox, would go out there and and put on his own show and he would talk about Ukraine and whatever else it is he wants to talk about. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. This morning it looks like somebody blew up the Kokovka Dam in southern Ukraine. The rushing wall of water wiped out entire villages, destroyed a critical hydropower plant, and as of tonight, puts the largest nuclear reactor in Europe in danger of melting down. So that's what he was talking about. Ukraine and his take on how the media is uh, reporting on, on Ukraine, which is all fine stuff. You can agree or disagree with it. Have a whole conversation. The video has over 800,000 likes. It did pretty dang well, uh, if, if we want to be perfectly clear. It did pretty well indeed. It has some 60 million views. And people are like, oh, I'm sorry. It, I think that's uh, uh, 87 million, up up to 92 million. <laughs> the more I'm looking, the more I see where it's gone up and up and up. And there were people like, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, no one's going to see this. No one's watching this. They didn't wait to see what happened. They didn't wait to see if uh, his first video foray would would grab viewership. They immediately said, this doesn't work. One of those people is Taylor Lawrence, who's an absolutely ridiculous child. This is a person who who outs uh, uh, people, who who doxes people, uh, who if you question her journalism, she cries. And, and that's why I, I call her a child. Her, her attitude, her, her, her being is, is childlike. Never mind, I don't think that she's an intellectual, but that's a personal opinion. She immediately went to, this doesn't work. This isn't working. As opposed to, hey, did this work? When we discussed the Bud Light situation and the boycotting of Bud Light, we did not jump on the bandwagon of, oh, look how the stock price is down. So what? 
Stock prices go up, stock prices go down. The question before us is, is there something here that's going to be experienced over a long period of time that's going to harm Bud Light? And the answer over time was yes. The answer over time was yes, Bud Light is in a world of hurt. We waited for the data before we came to the conclusion. The data told us what was. People like Taylor Lawrence and, and these, these progressives who claim to be journalists, I'm going to get into, into more of that subject, they don't wait. They tell you what it means, so you never actually ask yourself, what does the data tell us it meant? Why should you have to be bothered with actually using your mind when the media can simply tell you what it is you think, so you never actually ask what really is? It's a great example of it. It's a great example of how cheap uh, Taylor Lawrence is, what a failure of a, of a journalist she is. She's not even a journalist, just a propagandist. As for Tucker, we'll see if Fox can keep him off of the Twitters. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.